it's a series on relationships, okay, for better or for worse. And this is primarily going to be targeted uh, to marriages, okay, to marriages. Uh, go ahead and go to the title slide for me, Camille. Um, it's primarily driven to marriages because that is part of, and it's really been this way for a long time, part of the vows uh, that you hear often in marriage ceremonies, right? So yesterday we had a beautiful little wedding uh, here at the church for Dan and Beth. So excited for them. Uh, they're not here this morning. Good for them. They're on their honeymoon. Um, but they, you know, they were, they were repeating their vows for better or for worse. In good times and in what? And in bad times, right? It doesn't matter the language. It's always there. It's part of the vows we take in this covenant of marriage. And I want us to know we all love the good times, right? We all love the good times, the fun, the adventure, the joy, the laughter, the happiness, the romance, the cuddling, you know, the, I mean, not everybody loves the cuddling. I love the cuddling, but the, you know, the, the intimacy, like the four better times are, are really what make marriage so much fun and make marriage so much this life giving thing that we, that we love. And there are the four worst times, right? Which is the arguing and the fighting and the disconnectedness and the, and the arguing and the uh, disagreeableness with each other and the not being on the same page and struggling to connect and lacks of intimacy. And this is often the life-sucking part of marriage, if you guys can agree, right? So we, we, we know these times exist, and this is the reason we wanted to do this series. Now, the theme verse for this series doesn't sound like it doesn't really, you don't think it ties into it as well, but we want to make sure you know over the next few weeks what we're talking about. The theme verse of this series comes from Ephesians 5, 31. That's going to be our primary text today, by the way, Ephesians 5. As scriptures say, a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into, say the word, the two are united into one. There's this idea of oneness, all right? Now, the for better or for worse is what we're going to spend time talking about, but oneness is the goal. Oneness is the key verse. Oneness is the target in terms of relationships, all right? This is what God gave us instructions and ideals for is oneness, right? That for us has been a big deal. Now, God spoke this about Adam and Eve in in Genesis about their first marriage, sort of the first couple. And then Jesus quotes in the Gospels, he quotes What's spoken in Genesis is a real thing, is a real definition of marriage. And then Peter and Paul and James, they spend time in the New Testament with the early church, writing the church, giving them more descriptors, giving them more handles, giving them more things to to learn about marriage. So, you know, talking about marriage to the church is not a brand new modern thing, right? It's been going on for a while. That's what even in the early church that we're doing. I'm so happy to see a lot of young folks and students in the room. Uh, the earlier you get this, the better it's going to be. I'm just telling you, the earlier you get this, the better it's going to be for you. Hopefully you've had some great examples of marriages in your life. My wife and I last month, March, last month, yeah, it is last month still. So, okay, good. It's going so fast. Last month, uh, we celebrated 27 years married. We were, we were like 11 when we got married. It was really, really young. And, uh, and, uh, and we have, we've had some great uh, examples for us. And we've had some horrible examples too. And you can learn from hor- horrible marriages, but you'd rather learn from really good life-giving uh, marriages in your life. What we know in terms of personally and kind of across the board, the reason we wanted to do this series is that 2020 wreaked havoc, right? It wreaked havoc on many marriages and relationships. 
It just did. We saw it in the public eye. One of the ones that came to mind was Kelly Clarkson and her husband. Early on, uh, they commented specifically about quarantine. That, you know, they were already struggling a little bit, but quarantine or the, you know, they went to a, I think to a ranch or something like that. And, you know, you think these people have all they have and, and everything's great, but they, they, everything just sort of intensified. All the things they weren't dealing with well continued to be a problem and they ended up separating. We have friends and close people that I know of that, you know, kind of disappeared, you know, which was kind of okay. Everybody sort of disappeared a little while for quarantine and safer at home and all that. But then, all of a sudden, months later, they reemerge, and you find out, what do you mean you separated? What do you mean you, you, you're divorced? What do you, you know, what happened? And something happened in the midst of that. And I'm just telling you, uh, we, we, we see through conversations that 2020 and not, the quarantine wasn't that great for everybody. It might have been great for you, but we find that now to be a little bit more of the exception than the rule. It really put relationships through the ringer and, and really tested things. And I call it this way. We talk about the idea of there was dysfunction that was uncovered, meaning that you, maybe you didn't see it, or maybe it was just sort of beneath the surface, or uh, maybe you had habits that sort of ignored it, but it just felt like it was all you could see, or it intensified, meaning you knew it was there. You knew there were issues, but during this period of time, it just intensified. You know, the close proximity, the being together, the disconnectedness, and we can just go through this quick list, but this is what I've heard and seen, the disconnectedness, having a hard time emotionally, physically uh, connecting with one another, the judgmental uh, attitude that people uh, had, because uh, I'm, I'm telling you, guys, in Mar- you, think, you think the politics and the masks and all that divided our country. It divided marriages. Do you believe that? It really did. It divided people. Because of the judgment and the, and the attitudes and the issues that people were holding on to. Disagreeable, which is just you can't agree on anything. Oppositional, meaning truthfully, you are on different pages. You will not agree, you do not agree, and it's not the same. One of the worst ones I feel is parallel agreement. Parallel agreement is you do you and I'll do me, and as long as we're both happy, we're fine. Right? You do you, and you do what makes you happy, and I'll do me, and I'll do what makes me happy, and... There's no unity there. There's no, there's no togetherness. There's no oneness. But you parallel kind of move forward. And you can fake that for a while. But this is the dysfunction that, we, that many people uncovered and saw intensified. There's habits that we had of communication. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is communication. There's habits we had of communicating before things changed <laughs> that didn't work the same way when things changed. And it uncovered and intensified things. Now, sometimes oneness, I'll just go ahead and let you know, sometimes oneness is one of those things that comes with some uh, Christianese lingo and language. And so for a lot of people that I meet with and talk with, I don't always just kind of focus on that word uh, to give you a baby step. I just, I just tell people, look, you got you to find a way to be on the same team, right? You got to find a way to be on the same team. Same team is very important because the same team, you encourage one another. That's what you do when you're on the same team. You leverage each other's strengths, right? You're not so focused on the weaknesses, but you leverage each other's strengths. That's being on the same team. Yeah, you, ju- you notice that you'll judge the desire or the effort, not the performance. So what's often happening when you're on the same team is that you give someone the benefit of the doubt. You, you judge their, their desire to do something or their intention and their effort towards something. It's not all about whether you did or didn't do something for me today. You did or didn't fail at something. You did or didn't succeed at something. And then there's unity. 
But there's not sameness, and that's a big deal. I know we're going to talk about this over the next couple weeks, but, uh, you know, oneness is not sameness. Unity means that there's two different people coming together. Again, same team. There's different roles and functions. There's different gifts and abilities. There's different spiritual gifts that you've been given to use well. There's different uh, uh, perspectives in life that has been given to you by a husband and wife, and you're on the same team that should leverage and benefit one another. That's what same team. That's the word of the day. Let's just say it. Same team. Say it. Yeah, same team. Say it again. Yeah, if you can get that through your, your noggin, okay, then I can promise you, even if you don't listen to anything else I got to say today, you will start talking to your spouse differently. You will start noticing a change in your, in your conversation style because when you are having a conversation with someone, you can tell. If you just give it some thought, you can tell when you're talking to them. Am I talking to someone who's on the same team? Right? Are they on the same team or are they on an opposing? Are they an opposing force? Are they a, a, an opposing team? If at any point you feel like I won and they didn't, that's a problem, right? Okay, that's immediately a problem. That just tells you you are not on the same team, if that's the first thing that comes to mind. Paul writes a great deal about uh, marriage in several of the, to the, several of the churches. Here's one that's, that's great. This is a portion of uh, 1 Corinthians and the church in Corinth. He's talking to them about some, about some very specific problems, but the statement still is true. He says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life, okay? There's going to be challenges because of you becoming one and becoming married, uh, and I want to spare you from this. He didn't want to spare people from not getting married. He does say that somewhere else. You know, he, later on, he goes, you know, it'd be great if you didn't have to get married. You wouldn't believe that Paul said that, but he's like, it'd be kind of great if you didn't have to get married, Right? But if you do choose to get married, then this is the design, this is the oneness that you are supposed to have. So your devotion isn't split. And so this is where he says, I want, I want to spare you from, from, you know, you're going to have trouble, but I want to spare you from the, from the problems that can come from these external forces, the internal havoc that it can cause in marriages. And we're going to move to communication because communication is going to be the key. And this is how we're, we're starting the series, uh, talking about some resources for you. But communication is the number one issue. Okay? It's the number one issue in marriages when it comes to whether or not you are moving to a place of oneness or you are operating on different teams. It, everything comes and somehow hinges itself and rises and falls on communication. Okay? And whether it's premarital counseling that I'm doing for weddings or postmarital counseling that I, get, I do sometimes, like communication is always one of the first things that we have to deal with. We have to work through because it's such a big deal. And the key, this is just where we're going to start today with our, our series, the key to communication in marriage is meeting each other's deepest needs. Okay, Now, there are some a thousand books on marriage that can help you talk about specific things or help you work through circumstantial issues. We're going to focus on what Scripture tells us in terms of how we are to view one another as husbands and wives, how it's supposed to sort of design to work, and the way in which we're going to see that is going to speak to this, this real key sort of secret to communication is that you need to be looking past the issue into the deepest need that the spouse has, all right? Now, quick example. How many of you guys, how many of you guys have ever been in an argument, a fussing, a, a disagreement, um, you know, I don't know, a, a disunity in your home, an ugly fellowship? I don't know Christian words for these things, but you know, how many of you just knock out, drag out with your, with your wife or your husband? 
And, and you're talking about like who didn't change the toilet paper or something like that, right? But you notice the argument's way more heated than toilet paper, right? And that's because the issue really isn't the issue. There's always something deeper in our communication than the issue. And, and this comes from this deep, this deep desire, this deep need that comes from women and comes from men that Paul specifically addresses. But before we go there, I want to just, I'm going I'm to give you some resources and tools we're going to help you, that'll hopefully help you. Um, this, I want you to read this passage from James, the brother of Jesus. <laughs> and I want you to read it in the context of marriage, okay? Because he kind of hits this, in, you know, individually, but I want you to read it in the context of marriage. This is James. What causes fights and quarrels in your marriage, right? Among you. Don't they come from the desires that battle deep within you? Isn't it something way, way deeper than just the surface issue you're arguing about? He goes on to says, you covet what you can't get, or sorry, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight, right? You deeply desire something you don't have. So you quarrel and you fight and you fuss and you argue. You don't have it because you don't ask God. And I love this because he says this, yeah, but when you ask, you don't get it. You don't receive it because you ask with wrong motives. Oh, this is a big one for marriage, right? Oh, I prayed about it. I prayed God would show him how wrong he is, right? Oh, I prayed about it. She's going to get a little spanking from the Holy Spirit is what she's going to get, right? I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, what causes these fights in you? There is a deep-seated need and desire of something you need and you covet and you want but you can't get it. And so you fight and you fuss and you argue and you quarrel and it causes disconnection and strife. And he goes on to say, you don't ask God. And even when you do ask, it's always with the wrong motive. It's so that you can win. He goes on to say that you may spend it on what you, on what your, you pleasure, what pleasures you. I mean, this is a big part of them just saying like, this is just natural human interaction. But in our marriages, in our relationships, there are some really deep deep needs that we discover in Scripture, and we see how it plays itself out in marriage. Now, I want to give you a quick resource before we dive into Ephesians 5. And the resource is a book called Love and Respect. Raise your hand if you've heard of this book or you've read it personally. Yeah, just a few, okay? Dr. Emerson Eckrich. <clears throat> this is a phenomenal Resource. We have about seven or eight or maybe ten in the lobby that you can go purchase today back at the cafe. I went ahead and bought some for you. Uh, you can go <coughs> on Amazon and well and get it yourself. But if you want to grab one today, if you don't have the money today, still grab one and pay it later on, okay? We want you to have the resource if you feel like it would be helpful to you. I'm going to pull a few things out from the book because he just has very easy-to-grab handles as he pulls from Ephesians 5 how this all works in light of communication. When he talks about this idea of communication failures and the dysfunction that many, many people have noticed last year in their marriage, he calls it the crazy cycle, okay? He calls it the crazy cycle. And now it's not called crazy for an arbitrary reason. It's actually called crazy because I'll show you. I'll show you what it looks like. Because love and respect kind of run in this wheel, all right? And the crazy cycle looks like this. Without love, she reacts without respect. And without respect, he reacts without love. 
Okay, go to the, go to the, the, the picture real quick. See this, how this thing just kind of like turns and turns, right? So without love, without this deep-seated need that's there in the man, she reacts without respect. And without respect, without experiencing and, and, and having sort of this deep-seated need for the wife, she reacts without love. And those are, that's the key word I want you to notice. The key word is reacts. It's defensive, right? It's, it's a reaction to something. And it's, and it's one of those things that you deprive one another. You know, you, you act in such a way because you're not getting your deepest need met. You react in such a way that, believe it or not, just simply denies them their deepest need. And then because they're not getting their deepest need met, they deny you what your deepest need is. And it's called the crazy cycle because the legitimate term for crazy and insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Y'all with me? So the reason this, this wheel goes round and round on the crazy cycle and the reason you start arguing about an issue, but then it goes way past the issue because the issue's not really the issue. It's the crazy cycle. Because there's, there's sincere, deep, deep-seated needs of love and respect. Now understand, both men and women need love and respect. But there is a call in Scripture that identifies for us that men truly feel and desire one more than the other. And yet we're still called to love one another. We're still called to communicate in love. And we speak the truth in love, Right? That wonderful verse that's read at most weddings, you know, love is patient and love is kind and it doesn't envy and it doesn't boast. And maybe some of you guys have heard that in a wedding or, you know, have it on a crocheted pillow somewhere, right? You know, that's, for, that's, called, that's in the church in Corinth, all right, chapter 13. But before those verses, Paul actually says a bunch of stuff that tells us what things look like without love. This is one of my favorites, is that he said, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and the angels... Meaning that if I had communication skill beyond what you could imagine, but I didn't love others, I would only be a, what's the two words? Noisy gong or clanging cymbal. I love that. I love that picture. Paul's like, yeah, guess what? You could be the master order. You could be, you could speak in every language in the, of men and of angels but if there's no love there, if there's nothing behind it, if it's not the deeper issue, yeah, you're just noise, right? This is where we get to the message where I don't want any women like elbowing men or men elbowing women. Everybody with me? Okay, just don't, just leave it till you get home, okay? All right, there's, there's going to be helpful tools here, all right? You're just noise, right? When there's no love there, it's just noise, but communication is such a big deal, so we know the crazy cycle comes because... Because no matter what you're saying or what you're not saying, what you're choosing not to say is, is communicating something. But it's not always being heard. It's not always being received that way, which is why that crazy cycle happens, right? Here's another great quote from the book. What I say is not what you hear, you hear and what you think you heard is not what I meant at all, Okay? Can I get an amen to that statement at all, right? This just, saw, this just summed up 30 years of marriage for some of you, okay? What I say is not what you hear. And what you think you heard 
It's not what I meant at all. And this is the crazy cycle. This is what happens when husbands and wives are communicating. They are communicating. They're just not really communicating well. And it's just missing one another. It's just completely missing one another. And they are on this, this crazy cycle, if you will, this turning of not really understanding the need for love and the need for respect that is wired within us to meet those needs in our communication so that we can get off the crazy train. We can get off the crazy cycle. Here's just a few things from the book, and then I'll jump into Ephesians 5, of what, you know, what can set us off. Okay, and this is just to help you guys. You guys know this, but I'm just going to give you some, some, some tangible things. What puts him on the crazy, the crazy cycle? Scolding. Now, again, don't, nobody, nobody elbow anybody, okay? Don't even look at your spouse right now, okay? <laughs> Scolding, fussing, right? I mean, I, I, listen, I get this, you know, mom's been at home all day. Been yelling at the kids. How many times have I told you not to touch that? Why did you drink that? You know, why did you do it? And then the husband comes home, and he didn't get something on the way home from work, and she just immediately goes, "How many times have I told you to get something? How many times did I, you know?" And the scolding just happens because I've been scolding people all day. But this is a problem, right? It can really start this cycle: fussing, then the, the hen pecking, if you will, the criticizing. Criticizing is always personal. You know, critically looking at something is a little bit different than criticizing. Criticizing is always going to have a personal bent to it. It's always going to have a personal uh, target. Condemning, you're wrong. Complaining, right? Where, where it's an idea that nothing's ever right, nothing ever works, nothing, you know, nothing's good, nothing's ever, you know, complete. I added the wrong love language because sometimes this does cause us to kind of enter that crazy cycle because love languages are how we hear love and respect from, from each other. If you don't know that, that's a great resource. Go ahead and go to that book as well. This is from uh, Chapman, uh, The Five Love Languages, uh, physical, I think it's physical touch, uh, quality time, words of affirmation, uh, acts of service, and gifts. And it's a phenomenal resource. Again, you can go get it online. You can do a quick test on your phone, I think. If you don't know your spouse's love language, guys, it's a big deal. <laughs> it could perpetuate this crazy cycle in you because you don't, I guarantee you, you probably don't speak the same language. You don't hear it the same way. I'll give you a quick example of me and my wife, okay? My wife and I. We have one semi-common, right? One semi-common, which is quality time. That's my third one. That's her second one. It's, it's there, Okay, quality time. So we love spending time together. It's probably what saves our marriage, right? We spend time together. We talk. We love it. Car rides. We just, we love time together. So it's great. We have, we have a very similar thing there. However, one of my primary, you know, uh, 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 love languages is words of affirmation, right? Words build me up. Words build others up. Words are great. My wife, bottom of the list, right? Words... We're, I could write her a poem, I could write her a song, right? She's like, ah, that's nice. You know? Yeah. She's a woman of action, right? You don't need you to write me a song, I need you to do the dishes, right? She's, no, seriously, she's acts of service. That's her primary love language. So she, I want you to hear this, she pours out love for me in acts of service. That's the bottom of my list. 
I mean, I don't even recognize it. And I might want to hear something from her or, you know, it's so, listen, if we only did that, we would miss each other completely. Now, you get better, you know, as time goes on. You spend enough time in a foreign country, you pick up some key phrases, right, foreign language. She will, she'll pick up on some words every once in a while. I'll pick up on acts of service, but see, it's not a natural love language. So I have to be intentional that I really want to show her I love her. I have to speak in a language that she hears. If she wants to really express love to me, just speak in English, she hears. And when we do not do that, when we're not being intentional, it's part of the crazy cycle. It's part of what kind of jumps on the frustration that I don't see or recognize this. Here's, a, here's what it is for, uh, for women. The crazy cycle for her. Silent treatment. The silent treatment. I don't know why men ever thought this would be a good idea, ever. Okay, For women who long to talk and converse and share things. And guys think, I know how to solve that. I won't say anything. Right? Shutting down the conversation, which is another one, because this usually happens when there's strife or arguments and for the sake of what he feels like is safety to pull away from the conversation and not say anything that would get him in trouble or he regrets, he actually, she thinks you're making ground with conversation, but then he pulls out and completely backs out of the conversation and shuts it down. Demeaning words. I know there's couples that love to argue and poke and have fun, uh, but a lot of times, you know, when, you, when you're not paying attention, you can say things that really bite, that are demeaning. Um, deflating generalizations, you always, you never, you know, guys know what I'm talking about? Like that sends her off. It sends her off. Why? Because it's like you didn't recognize this morning. You didn't recognize a moment ago. You didn't recognize this. Dishonoring description is how you talk about your spouse to others. How you talk about her to others, and I'm telling you guys, can start the crazy cycle so fast. And again, the wrong love language. Now, this didn't come from it just nowhere. Again, if you go to the book, this is just for you to have a helpful tool. 7,000 couples were interviewed and asked in strife, in arguments, in, in tough times. And their response was that over 80% of the men in that, in that uh, study, over 80% of the men acknowledged that they knew their wife loved them, but they were not actually sure if they respected them or liked them. 80% knew their wife loved them, but didn't really know if their wife respected them or even liked them. 75% of the women knew that their husband appreciated and liked them, but did not know and did not feel as if he really loved them. You guys with me? It's a big deal. And so we're going to go to Ephesians 5 because this is the heart of the text. This is the heart of where he gets all these helpful things from. Because the Word of God is filled with charges about how we treat one another, how we can, should be communicating with one another. But Ephesians 5 does an amazing job of talking about these deep needs. Where, what's the issue behind the issue in some of our communication dysfunction? And starts this way. Paul says that we need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to everyone. Mutual submission is just a, a natural part of what being a mature Christian looks like. But it starts the conversation for husbands and wives, and so it's a big deal when he starts this off and says, you know, it's out of reverence for Christ that you, 
You who are made equal in worth and value in the image of God, given different roles and functions, there's a mutual submission for this oneness to happen. Out of reverence for Christ, you're going to submit to one another. Then he goes on. He says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. As you would submit to him, submitting to Christ, you're going to submit to your husband. Now, the the word here, it's a Greek word, and it actually talks about strength under control. It's strength under control. It does not indicate weakness. I want everybody to hear that. This idea of submission being weakness really isn't true. Weak things don't have to submit. You just run right over them. Okay? It's strength under control. It's the idea of a horse that can trample you with its front legs and kick you to the moon with its back legs, okay? actually bending. It's strength under control. So there's this, there's this word with this deep meaning that says, I want you to submit to your husbands the strength under control as you would unto the Lord. And he goes on, says, for husbands, the head of the wife is Christ the head of the church. He's the savior of the body, the church, talking about roles and functions. And then he says, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands. What's the two words? Okay, let's, ladies, read it loud, okay? What's the two words? In everything. Okay, now, we're going to discuss why that's hard in just a minute, okay? We're gonna discuss, I know. Let me discuss, we'll discuss that in a minute. Let's keep going to the men. For husbands... This means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did all this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. He's talking about the benefit of this. He says, no one hates his own body. He feeds and he cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And he goes on to say, as we as members of one body, the scriptures say, right, a man leaves his father and mother. This is the leaving and cleaving, right? And and he's joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So it flows from the man's role and the man's call to love into this picture of what it looks like in marriage for the man to leave and to, and to join his wife and then become one. And then it goes on to say this. It's a great mystery. But it is the illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Did you, did you, know, did you know that your marriage is supposed to be a testimony of Christ in your life? That's your marriage. Your marriage is supposed to be like part of your testimony about the greatness of God, about the amazing God we serve and love because the picture of oneness, the picture of a husband and wife coming together, guys, that's the picture of Christ in the church. And he goes, it is a mystery because God's the one who has to make it work. But it's the illustration, it's the example. So this is the key. Again, I say each man, read the two words out loud, must love. Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife, say it, must respect her husband. Boy, what a, what just a, that summary sentence is sort of the last words, if you will, on the subject in terms of how important these deep-seated things are. That, that even in our communication, even when it comes to how we talk to one another, 
whether we're opposing teams or same team, like, it makes a big difference when we're trying to communicate in such a way that reaches the deepest felt need they have to feel loved, to feel respected, and to not be on that crazy cycle. Two things, just to give you again, uh, out of that verse, the must in, the, in that last sentence is a big deal from a standpoint of we read Scripture Oftentimes from a, was this descriptive or was this prescriptive? Was this a command that Jesus gave us or was this something that that was sort of describing what would be great about this? Paul's giving this like descriptor of how a woman should and how a man should. And the last words are the command because the must is the imperative. Okay, It's not a suggestion. It's not a great if you can make time for it. It's saying that all of this oneness, all this mutual submission, all this submitting with strength and control that the women are going to do and all this sacrificial love that the men are going to do to die to themselves and to set her up as a value and importance as holy and plainness, this cannot happen if you do not take that command that this is how I must love and this is how I must respect. And that's a whole different cycle that we move into. I'm going to give you a quick statement before I go into this, the way the cycle looks. But the statement is this, and this, is, this was one that is found in the book. And it's a way of, it's a summary of, for at least for me, I like things simple. It's a summary of those words that sometimes, sometimes hard to get my mind around about sacrificial love and what does it look like and how does it feel and, you know. But there's the, here's the statement. She... Speaking of the wife, she is to be cherished as first importance, right? She's, she, this idea of loving her, must love her, is that she should be cherished as the first in importance. And he, he is to be honored as the first among equals. He is to be honored as the first among equals. What does that mean? It means that when she's cherished as first of importance, that when, the, when I'm communicating with my wife, does she feel that she is the most important person in my life? Does she feel like when we communicate that her importance is elevated above all things? Or does she feel like my job is elevated above all things? Or does she feel like the children are elevated above all things? Or does she feel like my hobbies are elevated above all Or does she feel like what I want to do is elevated above all things? Because those are the things that would help her feel that sacrificial love. She wants to be, that cherish is to be a first in importance. Not that, not that everything gets thrown away, right? That doesn't mean that other things aren't important, but you ladies, just nod your head if you agree with me. You just want to be first in importance, right? It means a lot. And men and women, we're not going to have this argument about who's more or what. We are made equal in worth and value in the image of God. It is, it's been a settled thing. I don't know why people are still arguing about it. It's been pretty settled for a while. 6,000 years, actually. We're the ones who keep messing it up. But as far as God's concerned, we are equals. Equal in the sight of God. 
This role and function that God has placed on men to lead and to, and to be the first in the household, and this opportunity for women to submit strength under control is something that honors him. It's something that shows respect. Ladies, I don't, I don't know how else to explain this to you, but your husband, for you to, to, to get out of the way, for you to take a step in control, to say we are equal, but you can be first, is an honoring thing. It will breathe more respect into his life than you could possibly imagine. To be the first among equals, to be the first in importance. This is just a summary way of helping you understand Ephesians 5 is putting all of this out there to help us understand that there is another path we can be on of loving each other and respecting one another. And they call it the energizing cycle. I'll go through it very quickly. It's the energizing cycle. His love motivates her respect. Her respect motivates his love. Go to the words. This is just... I want you to see the difference in the words. It's not defensive. It's not a reaction. It's not like, it's not like we're punting, right? This is an, an intentional choice. This is something that because I'm choosing to love you, it motivates, it, 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 it begins to mobilize her towards respect. And believe it or not, respect, <laughs> her respect, her living out that first among equals is going to mobilize, it's going to, to, to motivate his love. And round and round and round and round she goes. And instead of this crazy cycle, okay, insanity, just doing the same thing over and over and over again, thinking we're going to get something different, this is the, this is the actual thing that works. Where she respects and he loves and he loves and respects and she loves and respects and it's this constant back and forth and back and forth and it just turns and energizes life-giving to a relationship. Now, what kind of love and respect are we talking about? <laughs> it's easy. It's easy. It's real simple. It's unconditional love and it's unconditional respect. Doesn't that sound easy? Isn't that great? No big deal. And isn't it funny how one of those things we can all kind of agree with, even though it's really hard to do, and one of those things just sounds dumb? Right? Ladies, I'm talking specifically to you. Like unconditional love, we're all like, yes, absolutely. There should be no conditions. Unconditional respect, uh, that's dumb. That's, that sounds like an oxymoron. That's two words that don't make any sense going together. No, that's, that's what Ephesians 5 is talking about. It's talking about that as unto the Lord, in reverence for Christ, you must love your wife as you love him, which is where the unconditional comes from. And you are to respect as unto the Lord, to submit as unto the Lord in reverence for Christ. You submit because it's him, which is why it's unconditional, which is really hard. It's really hard because is she going to act in a way that is unloving? Yes, she is. She will. Is he going to act in such a way that is not worthy of being respected? Yeah, he is. He's not always going to, to do the right thing and to make the right choice and behave the right way, and yet 
the call to respect is still there. Because it's under Christ do I do this, not unto whether or not you're worthy of it. The call to love her sacrificially doesn't have anything to do with whether she's performing, whether she's fulfilling all my needs, whether she is fulfilling my happiness, whether she is, is meeting all my expectations. It's as unto the Lord, it's in reverence for Christ that I unconditionally love. So when I say it's easy, I just mean that it's easy for me to say. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to live out. This is why our personal relationships with God, this is part of the covenant, if you will, the covenant of man, woman, and God is so important to the marriage. And we're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks. That this covenant relies so heavily on our individual relationships with God in order to make marriage work, in order to make this unconditional love a possibility, in order to make unconditional respect a possibility in your life. So that you don't have to constantly drift to the crazy cycle, which all of us are going to do. You can choose this energizing cycle. You can choose love and respect in such a way that motivates him, that motivates her, that motivates him, that motivates her. It's not easy. I'm not saying that. But it is possible. It is possible. We're going to talk about this in the next few weeks. Is it possible for people to stay married after there's been infidelity? Yes, there's people in this room right now that have. Is it possible to work through all of the, the problems right now that feel irre irreconcilable? Yes, there's people in this room right now that have and are currently doing it. There is hope for your marriage to be the testimony, to be the testimony of Jesus to this world, to be the picture of Christ in the church. There's hope for you in your relationship, either your marriage now or your marriage one day. There is that hope, this absolute hope that motivates us towards that. Here's two quick things to give you again. I'll put them on the screen. You can screen capture it on, on the TV or the computer, or you can take a picture of it, or you can just buy the book because that's really the, the purpose of giving it to you. Scripture's filled with how we do this. And he gives a few acronyms for ladies, for women. How do you spell love for him, right? Or sorry, how do you spell love for her? This is for men. It's couples. What a great acronym, couples, right? Closeness, openness, understanding, peacemaking, loyalty, esteem. There's some really good tools of how to do that. How do you spell respect for him? I don't know, chairs. Just weird. I don't know, because men are just weird. Anyway, chairs. It's, the, it's, not, it's not my book. It's his book. Okay. Chairs, conquest, hierarchy, authority, insight, relationship, sexuality. There's elements of this that you can read through and understand. There's ways in which you can help kind of spur your, you know, your imagination and spur your action of how you want to share that love for one another. But just to make it simple again for me today, I want to just bring you back to that idea of being on the same team. I want you to think about it this week. I want you to recognize the crazy cycle when you see it, and I want you to work on what does it look like to be on the same team in, this, in, in communicating with one another. How can I best encourage my spouse? Show her love. Show him respect. How can we leverage each other's strengths? You know? 
How can I make sure that, that, my, that what happens internally, this judgment that happens internally, is really judging their best effort, giving them the benefit of the doubt, their effort, their desire, their effort. You know, it's not just whether they did it or didn't do it. It's not just the checklist, right? How can I do that? How can we begin to be more unified? Not the same, because we don't need to be the same. But how can we be more unified? I want you to start working on that this week. And then today, this, over the next series, over the series, I'm going to challenge you every week to do something, okay? This is for the married couples in the room. I want you to challenge you every week to do something. This is going to come, come to you every week. I want you to go into your most public forum you have. Maybe it's your small group. Probably it's going to be online. But I want you to publicly share what you love about your wife. And then mark a hashtag same team. I want you to publicly share why and what it is you respect about your husband. And over the next few weeks, I want everyone in your circles to wonder what's up. Why have you posted that about your wife? Why have you said that? Because I want my marriage to be a testimony of Jesus in my life. Because I want to love and respect my spouse. So I want you to do it this week. Maybe it's going to be harder for some of you. Maybe some of you already have a thing in your head. But I want you to do it this week. And I want you to tell your spouse, okay? Don't hope they read it. Actually tell them what you said, right? I respect you because of this. I love you because of this. We are on the same team. Everybody say same team. We are on the same team. And guys, our goal is oneness in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for the challenge of your word and for us to know that this is not an easy thing to, to strive for. Even, even what Paul challenged the church in Ephesus to do and to see isn't just like a cakewalk. If, every, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. But God, you have, by your Holy Spirit, empowered your people to live in such a way that their marriage can be a beautiful testimony and picture of unconditional love and unconditional respect for one another as they are united into one. So God, that's my prayer. My prayer, yes, would, would you begin to heal the hearts today of marriages that are struggling? Would you begin to do a work today and the people online and watching later and in the room today that, that their marriages, 2020 wreaked havoc and they're on their last thread? Would you begin the healing process today, individually and together? put them in, in, in touch with a counselor, help them take next steps. But God, I'm also praying that our church, that your church would begin to move in such a way and publicly proclaim in such a way the difference that our marriage makes in this world, the difference that, that, a, that, that a Christ-centered oneness in marriage will look like to others when we love and we respect one another the way you've called us to do. God, I pray that would be a testimony. I pray that it would spark conversations with friends online and people at work and, and close friends and relatives that, that would see us making efforts to be on the same team with our spouse and to see us grow as one. We thank you for this, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.